several things before we uh, read the Scripture, get into our study. Uh, many of you already know this, but our dear sister in Christ, Connie Ward, went home to be with the Lord this last Friday, and uh, her sweet smile will be missed, the welcome desk, and all around the church. But she is with the Lord, and um, the service, we don't know exactly when, but probably around the 24th of this month. So we'll let you know when we find out more about that. And then today I want to pray, and in our prayer, uh, remind you, and I know you have been, but you probably uh, are very burdened for the situation in Turkey uh, the things that are going on there, I haven't heard today, but yesterday was listening, and somewhere upwards of 23,000 people have lost their lives in that. And uh, so I, I, I know that you want to do more than pray, and I've contacted this weekend our mission team, and uh, we will be talking about what would be appropriate to send for the, the relief effort that's going on there. As far as I can tell, I've contacted Orhan, our pastor in Samsun, at Agape Church, and uh, apparently they have a team there. Uh, one of the hardest hit areas was Gaziantap, uh, Gaziantap where Gulserin, Orhan's wife, is from. And uh, so they're doing the work as they always do. Agape Church is is just they, they are quick to go and to do the work that is needed to be done. So I just thought I would give you the opportunity. If you have any desire, this is not really a, just letting you know, uh, because I'm, I'm certain that we will be sending some kind of relief money to them. There are several other organizations, but we want to make sure that what we send is going to be thoroughly vetted. You need to do the same, too, if you're giving to any relief efforts and uh, that the money gets into the right hand, right hands, because it's not just the now, it's in the months to come. And my guess is, while Agape Church has been doing incredible work uh, among Syrian uh, people that are refugees there in Samsun, um, they will have even more refugees, no doubt, because of this situation. So, just wanted to make you aware of that. And again, I've been made aware of several other situations that are doing good work over there. We're going to consider all of those. So let's pray for them and pray for ourselves as we enter into this study. Father, I'm so grateful that we can stop and give thanks and glory and honor to you. Lord, we do in times in our lives personally. I, I hope this is true that when we encountered this last week, any kind of challenge personally or in our home or in our family, we stopped and said, Lord, we will wait for you. And yet, Lord, we ask for wisdom so that we can do what is, um, what is appropriate in those situations. And then we look at the bigger picture and this situation in Turkey, and it's grieved us to see the loss of life, even a picture this morning of of the relief workers who were engulfed by falling debris. And, and Father, we know that you have a plan and a purpose. That's not just church speak, that is true. And so I pray particularly for the Christian workers that are there, 
that they might have a chance to speak a word so that the gospel could go forth in this hard-hit area. And Lord, that you might open the eyes of those who simply believe that Jesus was a, a good and a respected man. They would see that he is the prophet and he is the Savior and that they would accept him as their Savior. And so, Lord, we thank you now for this time that we have today. Help us as we study this word, a very important word to all of us, and particularly to the moms, to the wives, to the women in this congregation. And so we pray that you open our eyes, that we might behold those wondrous things that you have for us in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We go back to a verse, actually this is the future, this is in chapter 3, we haven't yet considered it, but as we take chapters 1 through 3 in the, the book of 1 Timothy, they all are pointing, pointing to a very important principle that God wants for His church, and that's where it's applied specifically right now, to His church, but it's also applied in every other area. And that is the principle of order. God loves for His church to be in order and orderly. So, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, I am writing these things, and we're going to read the things, some of it, that he's writing in a moment, so that you may know how one, that's all of us, need to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar of and the buttress of the truth. And with that in mind, I know you've got your Bibles open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Just remain seated. We're going to read from verse 8 through verse 15 as we have the last couple of weeks. Set the overall tone for this and then zero in on several verses as you can see in your outline today. Verse 8, he said, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. That's part of his order. Men leading in corporate prayer in the church. But the focus is not the posture of the body. Lifting holy hands, holy hands, without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, that one verse has been our bedrock throughout the last, three ser the last two sermons that we've done today, and then the last one that will wrap it up. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, today we're only going to be looking at the verses that we read a few moments ago. Verse 9, likewise the women, and then verse 10. Remember... Very important, just, just by way of review. This is God's design. 
everything that I've just read to you, and some which goes counter not just to the culture in which we live, but the world in which we live, and even some evangelical theology in churches in which we live. This is God's design. God, mankind, created mankind, that is man, and He created them male, that's a gender, and female, that's a gender, to complement and to complete each other. We said this before and we will say it over and over again. In God's mind, that means for men and women, equality of worth, of value, but differences in gender and in roles. And for reasons known best to our great and sovereign God, He has built into the cosmos, and you can just look around in nature and see this, into the entire cosmos, the principle of headship, that is authority, and helpership, that is submission. Now, notice what I just said. I please, I, please, I hope you heard this. I said principle and not principles. We typically divide these two out. I said the principle of headship, authority, and helpership, I'm not even sure if that's a word, or submission. Why do I say principle and not principles? Because, the, listen, these are not two competing concepts. That's how our carnal minds typically work, and that's how the world works. They are not competing principles or concepts, which somehow we've got to figure out how to fit together. They are rather two parts of the same principle, like two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Let me go back and reiterate, and I think we all have heard this and we will hear it, this principle of headship and submission is not arbitrary, and it is not reversible without obscuring God's purposes for man and woman. And you can go back if you haven't already. If you're just here for the first time, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first two sermons. Now remember, this is a series through First Timothy and then Second Timothy and then Titus, the Lord willing, if we're around that long. But right here we're doing kind of a, a, a little excursus, a, a, a series within a series because of the importance of what this has for the church of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this too, Satan's attacks, if they are seen anywhere, anywhere are seen most clearly in distorting the genders and the roles of men and women and distorting the one flesh principle, union, that God has created. Now, let me stop and just say a word to a, a, a group of people in this room, and I'll ask it in this way. How many of you, I want to see your hands, how many of you either have been in the past, and you could be maybe in the future, or you are right now, single. Let me see your hands. Oh, that's everyone. Everyone either has been single or you currently are single or someday 
uh, you will be or you may be single. Now, why am I stopping and saying a word? Because we've got singles in our church and sometimes you hear these messages and they're on the man and the woman in, in the covenant marriage relationship and we think, oh, that, there's nothing there for me. But let me say this to you if you are in that position. I'm primarily, I'm not only speaking to the singles who are really young or, or maybe someday you're, you're thinking that you will be married, but I'm, I'm talking to every single in the church today realizing that the context here is the context of marriage from the very beginning. This is what we've been looking at, God's plan. God said it's not good for the man to be alone. This is the general principle. We can't get away from it. No matter what our status at the present, I will make him a helper fit for him. And he made a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is the last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, this is true, and this is the context out of which these sermons are set, okay? But these instructions still have something to say that those, to those who are single. Just like men and women who are married, we said this last week, what is the husband to do? Mimic Jesus. What is the wife to do? That's what we'll discover today. Mimic Jesus. And so if you're a single person in here today, you have not yet, maybe you never have or never will be joined to a husband or a wife, but your role is to still, as a, as a man or a woman, to imitate Jesus, to mimic Jesus, to be conformed to the image of Christ, finding right now, if you're a single, finding right now, your completion in Christ alone. By the way, that's where we ought to find it as a man or a woman who happens to be married. Ultimately, our completion is found in Christ alone. Now, there are some singles that have a gift to be single. But marriage is a gift, okay? Did you know singleness can be a gift? There are famous singles in the Bible. Now, maybe Jesus doesn't count because he was the Son of God. Paul was a single. John the Baptist was a single. And Paul writes some things in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and among those, here's what he says, I wish that you all were as I am. He's talking about his singleness being given over to the things not being distracted by family, you read the context there, family is good. We're not saying it's not. But each one, he says, has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of the other. And so, if you're a single here today, this sermon is for you as well to learn how you can be conformed to the image of Christ and please Him in all that you do. Looking to Christ for your completion, okay? Now, one more thing. I, I wrote this down trying to say this in the right way. If you are a young man, a young woman, I know some of you, I look over here and I see some really young guys. You probably never have in your mind right now that you might get married. 
and, and some of the young ladies that I look at out here, and that really is the furthest thing from your mind. But you get a little bit older, and you look over and you see that young lady, or you look over and you see that young man, and so that might be in your mind someday. It doesn't have to be, but it might be. Instead of looking for the perfect person, here's what I would encourage you to do. You be, and I'm going to put it in this way, young men, young women, you be the safest man or woman on earth for that young woman or young man to meet. Do you hear what I'm saying? I hope so. With that Let's get after it. You see the outline there. We're going to be talking to the women and particularly to the wives, the role, behavior, and attitude of women in the church and in the home. And first, we're going to be looking at a word about adorning oneself properly and with modesty. You ready? Here we go. Likewise, the instructions for women are similar to the instructions for men. Likewise, So, what's good for the goose? Good for the gander. Remember, although hands are spoken of, I said this a minute ago, alluded to it, the focus is not on the outward posture. You can pray in many different postures, but the focus is always on the posture of the heart. Likewise, a woman's adornment or apparel Someone has said, is the mirror of her heart. Now, this word, you know, I I love it. Blue letter Bible, I've told you guys about it. Anybody can use it. And so you go and you look at, and I always do this, I do the word study. And so it says, adorn yourselves. Women, adorn yourselves. That is the Greek word, cosmeo. Does that sound like any word that you've heard? It's the word from which we get our word cosmos. And it's certainly the cosmos is adorned for the glory of God. But it's also, now get this, this is pretty cool. It's also the word from which we get our word cosmetic. So the first thing that I think the Apostle Paul is saying, and I'll just apply it today, I don't know if he's... I I don't know how much they had of it that was normally available to the average woman, but let's just apply it like this. Paul is not, women, against you adorning yourself appropriately. Let me say it again like this. Women, although some groups in Christianity might say otherwise, I disagree with them. They say cosmetics are bad. I beg to differ. And I think Paul did too. He said, adorn yourselves. Put on your makeup. Appropriately. Uh, My mind is racing with a number of different directions, but I'm going to stick with what he says, okay? To arrange, to make ready, to decorate to decorate appropriately, he says. Look, respectable apparel. Now he goes from the adorning of yourself, perhaps cosmetics, which are appropriate, 
Then he starts talking about your clothing with modesty and self-controlled, well-arranged, appropriate. The word has the connotation with regard for God and for others. Let me give you a couple of verses. This, this, is, a, this is not just a theme for women. Remember, God is not first concerned with the outward. He's always concerned with the heart. Later on in James, he talks about a guy walking in who is adorned, who has apparel on that's drawing attention to himself in some ways. Now, there's no indication that he is purposely doing that, but the people in the church are drawing distinctions between this guy and a guy that comes in with shabby clothes. So the principle is not only for men, it also can apply to women, it can also apply to men too. Now, I love this because he talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Well, I thought that was in there. Okay, sometimes my slides don't work exactly like they need to, so we'll hold on to, 1 P, uh, to Philippians chapter... No, wait, okay. Okay, it's, it's just not in there, but that's okay. First Peter chapter 3, not with braided hair. I hope I haven't lost you. Sometimes, I've sometimes wondered if it would be more effective without slides. Because sometimes I don't necessarily get them in the order that I need them, but follow what I'm saying. We'll try to get the slides to follow. If not, that's okay, because God's Word is what we need to deal with, all right? So 1 Peter talks about almost the same thing as Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And he says, don't, ladies, don't let your adornment be merely outward, braided hair, gold, pearls, and costly attire. Now, this would have been, that's 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 5. This would have been well understood in the early church. And I, I am so sad that sometimes people today, religious people, will take this as a command and they will go overboard. And so they start checking out a woman's hair when they come into the church. And they'll say, oh, you, you shouldn't have braided hair. You shouldn't have gold on. You shouldn't have pearls, costly attire. Now, again, the attitude of showing off to be noticed by others, not only with the attire, but also the modesty thereof, or something that is outlandish in expense. That's what he's talking about. I read an excerpt from a historian back in those days, Caligula, who was an emperor around that time. This was written about Caligula's wife. This is instructive. It said she was covered with emeralds and pearls, gleaming all over her head, hair, ears, neck, and fingers to the value of over a million dollars. 
Paul knew this was, this was a part of the culture. Ephesus was one of those trade centers where women, the value, sometimes their treasure was put into their hair dressing. He was simply saying, women, don't imitate the ways of the world. Now, let's see if we can get to this next one. James chapter 2, verse 2. First Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What should drive, listen, what should drive a young woman or a young man? I read an article this last week. In fact, I, I would recommend it. I gave it to my wife. I gave it to several others to, uh, to look at, and they all agreed that it was a, uh, a, a really good article. I, I read many different things on this. This seemed to capture the thought of what the Apostle Paul was saying, written by a woman named Mary Cassian. The name of the article is, Does God Care What I Wear? Getting to the Heart of Modesty. Now, here's what she said. Now, ladies, look at this. Modesty has a lot more to do with the condition of our hearts than with the specifics of our wardrobe. And I think that is a very, very good attitude. In other words, don't dress like the pagans dress. Don't dress, this is instructive, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 10, don't dress like a prostitute. Now, again, whatever that looks like, you notice I haven't told you specifics. That's because in those days and in these days, there is a particular way of dressing that identifies us with a particular culture. And so, in that whole section that Solomon was speaking to his son about a woman of adultery, he said one of the ways you can tell is the way she dresses. Dress like a prostitute. It shows the attitude of her heart. Wily of heart. So women, girls, don't dress like that. Also, here, here is another thing that I believe that it would say to us in the church of Jesus Christ. Dress appropriately to your gender. We go back to Deuteronomy Chapter 22 and verse 5, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Why? Because this is defiance of God's design in creating men, masculinity, and female, femininity. Now, let, let me just stop and, and say this. Because, again, I'm not telling you what you have to wear and what you can't wear. Some of you are old enough, in fact, the majority of you are old enough, to remember a time when in our culture, I'm not talking about other groups like the, perhaps the Mennonites or others like that, but within Baptist culture, there was a particular way in which you dressed on Sunday morning. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? 
So that if a man came in dressed in other than a coat and a tie, he was not appropriately dressed. Do you remember that time? I remember back as a staff member at a church in the 90s. Now, for some of you, that's ancient history. For me, that's not so long ago. But I wore a coat and tie during the week. Now, ladies, you can remember those days too. Because if you walked into the church back then, the way that I see most women dressed today with pants on and not a dress, there would be some ladies who would be looking at you and maybe even correcting you for how you were underdressed. So we're not saying that it's a cultural thing about a particular kind of thing, dress or pants or whatever. We're saying that it has to do with the heart. Look at the next part, a word about godliness and good works. In other words, not flaunting gold, but godliness. Not pearls, but purity of a gentle and quiet spirit, very precious in God's sight. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality, beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And then Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 13. Here's what you ought to be thinking about every time you get dressed. Put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So that walks us through the verses that we have. Now, let me get to that last verse, verse 11, when it talks about submission. And let me say some things before we get to three applications, much like we did last week. Here are some things that I thought about this last week. I felt like I needed to give some correctives, okay? And to say to you that there are certain things that submission is not. Now, I'm not going to give a lot of scriptures. I'll give one during the course of these. But as we look at this overall picture of submission, I think there, need, there needs to be some correction with it. And so here are some things that I believe that we can know that submission is not. And, and the reason that it's posed in these kinds of things is because of the sinfulness of man. First thing. Submission is not. It's not worldly subservience. It's not worldly subservience. Wives, your husbands don't own you. It doesn't mean that you're of inferior value. We've already said that. So please know that it does not mean that you're owned by your husband. Second thing. You wives are going to like this. It doesn't mean agreeing with everything your husband says. And all the women said? You can have a submissive spirit and still disobey. I mean, disagree. 
Boy, was that a Freudian slip. You don't have to agree with everything your husband says. And uh, let, let me just say a word to the husbands that kind of relates to this. Um, women, ask your husband's opinion. And many of you do. Husbands, respond when your wives ask for your opinion. For example, for years, and I, I don't know how long, but for years, like on Sunday morning, like she still does, Jan puts on clothes, and she asks, does this look good? How does this look? Do, do you think this looks good so that I should wear this today? Now, she may be the only woman in this room that does that. And do you know what I said for years? I don't care. Do you know what I don't care is? It's a restaurant in Catoosa. It really is. One day she said to me, Honey, I, I want to look appropriately nice for you. And I'm interested in what you think. So she'll, she'll put on one shoe and another shoe. Which shoe, honey? You know, I have changed, and she knows this. Which shoe, honey? I'll say, that one. I have an opinion. And then she'll say, mm, I like the other one. <laughs> That's only half the time. This morning, how many times did you change based on my opinion? Well, anyway, so it doesn't mean agreeing with everything that your husband says, but ask your husband, and husbands, please, respond. Have an opinion, okay? Here's another thing that submission is not, leaving your brain and your will at the wedding altar. You've got a brain, you've got a will. Smart is the husband who sees that and who communicates with his wife. Now, this is a sermon on the wives, not the husbands, but it goes together. Here's another thing, Wow, I don't know where people get these things. Submission is not avoiding any effort to change your husband. People say, well, you ought to get married with no thought of changing that other person. Who in the world said that? Not God. And here in 1 Peter, we're, we're told that if you're, even if your husband is disobedient to the Word, your goal and your whole attitude as a wife ought to be able to win your husband to the Lord. Another thing submission is not is putting your husband's will before God's will. Don't put your husband in the place of Christ. You're to submit to your own husband as unto the Lord, not because he is the Lord. Getting your personal spiritual strength, this is a big one, from your husband primarily, and not from the Lord. And the last thing I'll say that submission is not acting out of fear. That's straight out of First Peter. So what does it mean to live out being a biblically strong helper? Genesis 2, 18, that's what it says, and the Lord God said it is not good for the man 
to be alone, I will make a helper fit for him. What does that mean? Three things. Guys, do you remember what your three things were this last week? Lead, provide, protect. And these are three things biblically for a woman. The first one is love him. That's right. Love him. People say, well, I I thought that's what the husbands were supposed to do for the wife. Very true. But it also says in Titus 2.4 that older women are to train. This is something that can be taught and should be taught. Train the young women to love their husbands and their children. Let me just give you something that I have applied, and I've told men this over and over again. What does that unconditional love for your wife look like? And then I would say this, what does the unconditional love, wives, that you should have for your husbands? Look at the three ways in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, there's a time when your husband's going to be weak. He's not going to get it. What do you do? You love him. But then what if he moves beyond that to being actively a sinner? God shows His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you love your husband even when he's a sinner. But wow, look at this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Men and women, both. You need to love your spouse. As Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for Him or for her. So, so vitally important. Unconditional love. Be loyal, please. Be trustworthy. Be dependable. Respond to your husband with calm and patient wisdom. Please do this. And then husbands, you take this to heart as well. A wife should always trust that your husband has your best interests at heart. I know that there are exceptions, but the general pattern should be to love him. Second thing is respect him. Respect him. Men need that. And that's why at the end of that chapter 5 in Ephesians, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respect his position in your family. Find something to admire. I tell you, men live for that. Encourage his initiative. If your husband takes the initiative to do something, you acknowledge that and you encourage that. Please guard his reputation. That is a part of respect. Your words, your actions, your thoughts. Please don't complain about him in public. Please don't complain about him in front of your children. Part of respect is cultivating a grateful heart. The attitude of contentment. Let me say this, put it in this way, protect without enabling. You get that? Protect 
without enabling bad behavior. Let me tell you where this, one of the, the areas that I, I see this, I've seen it through the years with, with husbands and wives working together. One of the most important decisions you will make is choosing a church. And I love it when I see and when I hear men leading out in choosing a church for the good of their children. It may not be what the children prefer, but the dad working with the mom, they look, they scope it out, and they choose a church with that in mind. And let me just say the other side of that that I've seen all too often is when the dad and the mom allow the child to choose the church based on preferences that that child might have. You know, I'm sure that Joseph would have chosen not to go into slavery in Egypt. But it was exactly what he needed, and he recognized it at the end. It's what he needed to learn. Last thing is submit to him, submit to him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, I've already told you the things that submission is not. Just remember that your marriage is living out the, the drama of the gospel. Husbands lead, wives submit. Line up under his loving leadership. Men, give her something to lead, to, to, to follow in your leadership. Be a strong ally in his headship using your God-given abilities to work with Him and never against Him. Work to be a high-functioning, complementarian team. You ought to put that down. That's, that's our goal. Work with Him to be a high-functioning, complementarian team. As He leads and shows deference, you follow and submit and show deference. If you're wise, you will, and if he's wise, he will. And then what's the last thing? We read it a few moments ago, hope in God when your husband is not a promise keeper. Joseph trusted God, so did David, but Jesus is the ultimate example. When he was being reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. One more thing to say. I, I apologize for getting messed up in my slides, which I have written down here. But I pray that that's not a distraction to the truth. that we have shared today. The truth, what I've shared today, really needs to come through. Why? Because there are forces in our world, in our culture, that go all the way back to the garden, attacking marriage and attacking the family. And when I see some of the things that are going on, 
trying to, 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 to know what it means to be respectful of my authorities, but praying for them and seeing some of the things that they do, I think at very minimum we are living in strange times. It was a while back, but the president, for whom I pray, we ought to daily, had a meeting in the White House with several people, and one of those people was a young man very, very confused about his identity and about his gender. And I thought to myself, looking at this young man, no matter what the, the, the drugs he's putting into his body or the, the surgeries he's having or the clothes that he is wearing, at the end of the day, when you look at his cellular structure, he is a man. And I, I was so grieved when the president... in talking about favoring that very kind of thing, called any opposition to that primarily legislation, okay? But he called the opposition to that kind of thing outrageous and immoral. And I saw a quote from wasn't a president, but it was a president's wife. And again, ancient history for some, not too long ago for others. In 1990, Barbara Bush was doing a commencement address. I don't know her spiritual status, but she said, one of the things that I thought was so stunning about that situation and what we ought to be doing in the church of Jesus Christ, she said, your success as a family, our success as a society depends not on what happens in the White House, but on what happens in your house. And let's let the truth of the Word of God drive us to see God's order, His priority, in your marriage, your family, if you're a single, these things relate by extension to you and then in the church of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the fact that even through faltering words uh, that you can get your message across. I pray that that's been done today. And... Uh, Father, it's all for your glory that uh, your people would hear you. They would be able to sift out that which is chaff from that which is the good wheat of the Word, and they would be able to absorb by your power, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would apply your Word to our hearts, that we would consider it seriously that we would make the necessary changes so we could put aside sins of commission and sins of omission, that we could be the wives, and as we said last week, the husbands, the men, and the women that we need to be.
for your glory and for the good of the church. Father, if there is anyone here today who does not know you, I again pray that something that was said, perhaps talking about as Christ loved the church, that they would realize that they are that sinner, they are weak, they are helpless, they're sinners, and that they're enemies of you, our great God. And that Jesus came into the world to save sinners like us. By repenting and turning to Christ, they can be saved. So, Father, thank you for uh, helping us this day. I pray now that as we conclude our service, that the lost truly would be saved. And that those of us who know you might be strengthened and encouraged to walk with you even more closely. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.